Have you ever stopped to think about how important bridges are in our life? Bridges. I, I, uh, some of my fondest memories growing up involved bridges because I went to go see my grandparents, and they both live on the, the coast of eastern North Carolina, and to get to their houses, you had to go over a ton of different bridges, but there were two particular bridges that were awesome to me, and they're awesome because of the names of the bridges, all right? These are the two bridges that in my childhood stick out as these amazing bridges. Uh, the first one is called the Alligator River Bridge. Anybody know about the Alligator River Bridge? Oh, man, it's such a cool name for a bridge, and it obviously goes over a river called the Alligator River. And you better believe 10-year-old Chris was sitting in the minivan, looking out the window, trying to find me some alligators, and I never found a single one. There was never an alligator within sight. I have friends who have said they have seen the alligators in the Alligator River. I have never seen one. But still, it kept me, like, on the edge of my seat, except my mom told me to sit back and put my seatbelt on. But still, I would look, and I would try to find alligators. The other bridge that really captivated me uh, because of the name, it, it was a bridge called the Sound Bridge. And this was, uh, back when I was a kid, this bridge went over the Albemarle Sound, and it was this this. Uh, old school concrete and, and steel uh, drawbridge. And it would, in the middle, there was a big metal section. And when you went over it, it would make this cool sound, like vroom, 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 when your tires went over the metal. And as a little kid, I was like, that is cool. And my dad said, we're crossing the sound bridge. And I was like, I bet the reason they named it the sound bridge was because of that cool sound it makes when you drive across. Sadly, I was informed that apparently a sound is also a body of water. I know that now, <laughs> I didn't know that then, and so I felt stupid. Um, so uh, if you think those are the coolest stories from my childhood, I promise you they aren't, uh, but I did do cool stuff. But th- when I think about bridges, that is what comes to mind for me. Uh, I still like bridges today, and apparently we all do. There are a lot of bridges in North Carolina. Anyone want to like, just fancy a guess at how many bridges there are in North Carolina? Anybody want to be brave and holler out a number? How many? 800? Somebody? 18? There's at least 18, yeah, like on this street. Um, So I didn't know. I didn't know if it'd be like hundreds or thousands. According to the North Carolina DOT, the DOT manages 13,500 bridges. That's only bridges. There are other things that are bridge-like that I don't think categorize as actual bridges. Last year, 2018, in just the one year, the North Carolina DOT spent $250 million just on bridge maintenance and preservation and replacing old bridges. We have a lot of bridges in our state, and I think most of them are in New Hanover County. Um, like, so I started to think back. I'm like, what, what would Wilmington be like without bridges? Like, how different would it be? And as I thought about it, I'm not sure you could get here or leave without bridges. Like, remember the hurricane? Like, there's a reason that we became an island, because we are basically an island, whether it's the river or some kind of creek or some kind of uh, tributary of the river. Bridges are vital. And so I've been learning a lot about bridges as I've been preparing for this teaching series, because it's going to be a major theme of what we're getting into. And several days ago, a really profound thought hit me, uh, that bridges are not just roads that are, like, higher off the ground than other roads. Like that's, like, that's what a bridge is. It's a high road. It's a bridge. It's a, it's a road that goes maybe, like, it's a high road that goes over some water. It's a high road that goes over, like, another road. Nah. Like, bridges are the solution to some sort of problem that the road builders built. It's like there was, there was a normal road that was fine, but for some reason, the normal road was no longer sufficient. There was a problem that had to be solved, and that problem for many bridges, it, it, might, you know, it might have been a river or a pond or a ditch or maybe uh, another road or, I don't know, like a, a moat full of alligators. Like there's something was in the way of the normal road, and so some engineer had to come down and solve a problem with a solution, and the solution 
was a bridge. Someone said, it's important for me to get from right here to over there. Like, we got to do it. But there's a problem. I think that this concept of a problem and a bridge, I honestly believe it's why most of us, if not all of us, are here today. Because there are some spiritual problems in our life, major spiritual problems. And the only way across those problems is a solution that I believe is a bridge. And these are bridges that are built by God. They're built by godly people. They're things that get us over the issues and the problems. And the only solution is a bridge. And so um, anyway, next time you are driving across the bridge, you can play a little game. You can have an exciting life like I did in my childhood. And you can ask yourself this question. What problem is this bridge solving? But as we go through these next three weeks, I want us to ask this question. What are some issues in my life that maybe God has already prepared a bridge to cross? Uh, we're kicking off a new teaching series today called Building Bridges. And so for three weeks, we're going to be going into this. And um, I believe that God has created some major structures for us to cross over, to be in his presence, to have access to who he is. And so this week, um, it's a bit of an intro. We're asking a simple question. What is the root problem that needs to be solved in our life? And how has God solved it? That's the first week. Next week, we'll be looking at a little bit deeper. Uh, what does it look like for us to build bridges with other people? And the third week is kind of like now that the bridge is established, what does it look like for me to cross that bridge? What does it look like for me to like enter into the presence of God and live in this life that God has for us? Uh, so I hope that you'll... you'll Stick around for the whole series, that you'll keep coming back every week, and that you'll be in your Bibles throughout the week and asking some of these hard questions, because I think it's a place where we can all grow. Um, today, to get in there, let's go ahead and jump into the Bible. If you've got a Bible with you today, uh, open up to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones in that table uh, at, the, at the door over there. Feel free to grab one now or as you leave. We want everybody to have a good readable version of the Bible. Um, also, don't feel ashamed to open your Bible app. That's a really, a, a really good way to carry your Bible around with you on your phone. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, and the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament of the Bible, which is the last third of our English Bibles. And the book of Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He was one of the very first uh, Christian missionaries that began to take the message of Christianity and Jesus into a non-Jewish setting. And so he's traveling all over the Mediterranean Sea region, and he is establishing new church after new church after new church after new church. And he's also writing these letters back to the churches that have already been established. And he's giving them some instruction. God's Holy Spirit and Jesus himself had actually appeared to Paul and given him some very clear instruction on what the church should be and how we should live our lives. And so this book written to the Ephesians is one of those books. Uh, but it's even more special than some of the other letters that Paul wrote. Because unlike some of the cities that Paul wrote to, Ephesus was home to Paul for a really long time. I think if I'm correct, Paul lived in Ephesus for something like 15 years. And so have you ever lived somewhere for 15 years? I mean, you can build a lot of relationships. You know, you know your neighbors. You know your friends that you do life with. You know the people. These people were doing church together. So if you have got really close relationships through your church. So as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he's, he's not just writing abstractly to a group of Christians. He writes to some people that he knows really well. And he's going to tell us some things that are really going to help us out today. Uh, as you read this today, I want to speak to you two different groups of people. Maybe there's someone in the middle as well. But first, if you've been a Christian for a really long time, uh, I want you to realize that this book was written to people like you, specifically. 
It was written to believers who already had kind of a foundation and had been living it out. Uh, there's going to be some points at which we're going to get to some concepts today. If you see the phrase uh, building bridges and you think about Jesus, you're like, ah, I think I know where he's probably going to go with this. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But here's something we tend to do as Christians who have been Christians for a while. When we hear something that we think we already know, we just tune it out. We're like, I know that. I'm good. Don't do that because Paul wrote this to someone like you. So if, if we feel this way when we read this book, we're missing his point. The second you know, area that you might be, that might not be you. You might be here today, like this is your first time in church in a long time. Maybe it's your first time ever in church. Maybe you're just beginning to seek God with your life recently. The great thing about the passage we're going to read today is this is like, if you had to define Christianity in 500 words or less, I would maybe give you this passage we're going to read today. I've often myself called it the gospel in a nutshell. Just a couple of paragraphs that boils down what all of Christianity is. And so it's just kind of a, a background and a precursor as you get in. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. So as we begin, uh, Paul has just been encouraging the Christians in chapter 1. And he's like, you guys are doing great, and here's some things that you can do because God's power in your life. But he's going to put a, a pause button on it, kind of a stop button. And he's going to rewind, and in chapter 2, he's going to remind them of the spiritual journey that they've been on. So that's what we're jumping in right now. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving wrath. As I read this, it sounds pretty familiar to me uh, because Left to my own devices, um, I am a flesh-satisfying, selfish animal. Um, he talks about feeding these fish, fleshly kind of appetites. And that, I think, defines probably a lot of the, the I don't know if it's uh, humanism or like our, 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 our human-centric mindset that we have a lot of times. That really, it's all about what makes me most happy. Some of the worst advice that someone might give you is, you know what, if it makes you happy, do it. Uh, no, some people get happy by burning down houses. Like, that's not, that's not good advice, okay? Um, but our whole existence is not just to feed our flesh and to feel good. But that feels good, doesn't it? Like, if it's just up to me, like, why would I do something that doesn't always feel good? And Paul reminds us, I mean, you know what? Without God in our lives, this is kind of who we are. Serving ourselves, feeding our flesh, uh, and there's a lot of things that could be talked about here, uh, but Paul points to what he believes, and, and I, I think it's true throughout all scripture, is the biggest culprit of this uh, kind of disconnect between man and God. And he calls it out. He calls, he calls it two things. He says, you know what? I know what's killing you. I know what it is. It's sin and transgression. Sin and transgression. That's not, uh, you know, one of those words you might be familiar with. The other one you might not use very much. Um, sin is, you know, there's a target we need to hit. God says, do these things, and we don't do them. It's sin. Sin's missing a target. Transgression is like, he's like, these are some boundaries I want you to stay inside of. Don't go over there because that's dangerous. Or I know some things that you don't know. There's kind of some boundaries there. And transgression is when we cross a boundary. Sin, transgression is different sides of the same coin. One's the thing we do, one's something that we don't do. Either way, it's where God has set up this system for us to work within. He's created us a certain way, and he's like, this is how you should function. And we don't do that. And he says, man, this thing is killing you. In fact, before you knew Jesus, you were dead in your sin and transgressions. It was killing you spiritually. You were separated from God. Now, sin is not a popular topic. 
you want to just really, you know, have some fun, go down to, you know, any old restaurant, coffee house, bar, somebody's birthday party. Hey, who wants to talk about sin? You know, anybody? Who, I'll go first. I'll go first. Let's see. I was 12 years old. And, you know, like, no, like, we don't like talking about our sin. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us squirm in our seats. Uh, there's this, like, fear of being judgmental. There's this other fear of, like, I don't know. There's all kinds of fears. We don't like talk about it. It's not popular. Um, but our minds immediately go all over the place when we start talking about sin. And I think one place that my mind immediately goes, and it's probably because I got a lot of church in my background, is that we start building camps where, like, I'm on this team, this is the team I'm on, and everyone who agrees with me is on this team, and there's some people who don't think that certain things, they, they think that certain things are okay that I don't think are okay, so they've got their own camp, and we start kind of splitting up, and then we start kind of voting on who's got the best opinion on what's sinful and what's non-sinful. Here's the thing. I think that when our mind goes that direction with sin, I think we actually are missing a major point about sin. I don't think that's what this needs to be about. Um, it is important to know what are the list of things I should avoid and what are the list of things I should do. It is important to know those things. But if we begin to immediately categorize and list things and create checklists, I think we've missed the point that God is trying to help us understand about sin. And so um, I think there's a deeper question we've got to answer first, okay? So this is something I want to challenge us all. I, I really wrestled with this this week. Uh, I called my friend Patrick last night. We talked about, I was just thinking about this question. Here, here's the question. Do you believe that sin matters? It's a simple question. Do you believe that it matters whether or not there's sin in the world? Because if it doesn't matter, then let's not talk about it. But if it does matter, why does it matter? Why, why does so much of religious stuff seem to revolve around things we do and things we don't do? Um, I have a theory that I think will happen, that, that will help a theory that I think will help as we wrestle through this idea. I hope it's something that can begin to repaint how you and even as we as a church think through sin and how we interact with it in our city and our culture and our families, okay? Here's the example. Okay, imagine me and you are working on an electrical project together. We're wiring something in your house or in your car. Some of you are like, oh, I would never do that. That's, why would you think that I would do that with you? Pretend that you are like into electri electric stuff, okay? So we're working on something and as we're working, uh, I mess up and I like, there's one of the wires I have, it's a bare wire, and I, I ground it out. Like I touch it on another wire. Or I ground it on, you know, something that's grounded it. And, and it causes a short, okay? Simple scenario, science stuff. Now, when you short out a system, there's a result. Uh, a fuse blows, circuit breaker trips, maybe a light bulb blows up. You might get shocked. Like, there's, a, there's a couple of things that can happen, right? There is a result. Now, here's what could happen. That, that could happen, and the fuse blows, and the lights go out. One option is we could all stand here and debate about whether or not that happened. We could say, well, you know, like, you know, Chris did touch the wire to the other wire, but like, I don't really see anything wrong with that. So, like, I mean, why, why, why are you up on Chris about that? Like, it's not a big deal. Or, you know, I don't think he meant to hurt anything when he touched that wire, so let's just go easy on him. Or, you know what? He can't help it. Like, where Chris grew up, man, people were touching wires on everything. Like, everybody was shorting out wires where he grew up, and so, like, he really can't be blamed for this. We could stand around and we could debate about that, but you know what's still true? The lights are out. Like something happened, okay? And so like we can debate about it all we want to, but here's another scenario. Well, that's not how electricity works, okay? Let me say this. That's not how electricity works. You don't vote on whether or not electrons move. Like they just do, okay? It, it's, it's, it's a fact that happens. So I want to pose a powerful question to you. What if sin is a real thing? 
And what if it's not about being right or wrong or having the right list or the right opinions, but what if there is actually a danger and that when we do or don't do certain things, there's a result? What if there are shorts? What if there are fuses that blow? What if there are things that happen in the world? As I observe the world, I think it's evident that something's broken. And I don't think that it does us any good to debate about all the things we tend to debate about. I think that we would serve ourselves better to step back and go, something's not right. Let's, let's figure out what's wrong. What if by committing sin or transgression, it does cause damage to our soul? That suddenly puts a whole new spin on whatever religious thing we're going through right now. Because it's no longer like just some checklist of go to church and make sure you do the right stuff. It's like, wait, is there a problem that needs a solution? Or isn't there? If you're a good electrician, you're going to come to me and you're going to be like, bro, listen, when you touch that wire to that wire, stuff breaks. So don't do that anymore. And I'll be like, thank you. And if I'm smart, I will take your advice and I'll learn from that. And I believe that that's how sin and God's holiness works. God isn't just some sick, stick-in-the-mud guy who wants to have all this list of stuff we can and can't do just to, like, bring us down. I believe instead he is a spiritual master, and he understands how spiritual things work. And he knows that when certain things happen, stuff breaks. Hearts break. Marriages break. Lives fall apart. And if you touch this, it will burn you. I believe that's how it works. I think it's so much more than just debating about who's more right and who's more wrong. But instead, we can step back and go, God, maybe there's something to this God loves us thing. And maybe he does have a solution to our problem. And Paul says it. He said, that's the way things were when we were following the evil ways of the world, the ruler of the spirit of the air. We were doing nothing but feeding our bodies. And he was like, listen, if you didn't notice, that's not working. There's something wrong. And when we found you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. And so... If that makes sense to you, that, that should affect the way you start to think about sin. I also think it, start, it affects the way we act every day. Instead of sin being like there's a line in the sand and my goal is to see how close I can get to that line without crossing it, instead we could go, that's an electric fence and I'm not trying to get anywhere near it. And I think something will begin to change in the way we interact with other people. It'll make us start speaking to other people with compassion and love instead of hate and judgment. Because if you're that good electrician that just wants to help, you're like, look, I just wanna let you know this is what happened. But if your goal is just to be right and prove how much more right than someone else you are, I don't think that we're getting the point. So uh, the good news is God builds a bridge. He's got a solution to that problem, and he wants us to help find life in him, and he recognizes that there's a problem to solve, and guess how he solved it? He built a bridge, and um, so that's the amazing message of the rest of this chapter, so you got to get through that first muddy part before you get to the good stuff. Let's look at verse 4, Ephesians 2, verse 4, but, and that's such a great word when you're talking about being dead in sin, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. When's the last time you needed a little grace? Some of y'all are like, this morning. <laughs> I needed it right now. 
When's the last time you needed a little grace? Recently, I got to spend some time with a friend of mine who is, he's currently in jail, actually. And, uh, man, he's a good guy. He's made some mistakes. He got caught, and there he is. He's just, he's dealing with the consequences right now. He's been in for a while now. He's got a little less than two years left to serve in his sentence. But I got to meet with him this weekend and, and have some really good con- conversation and talk. And, and as we were talking, we were talking about what's next, like when he gets out, like what can he do? And he said, man, you know, the hardest thing is going to be to find a job, you know, uh, you know, nobody wants to hire a, a convict and stuff like this. And I said, man, what, what would your hope be? What would your prayer be? He's like, this kind of floored me because it was so simple. He said, I just hope somebody will give me a chance. When's the last time you really needed some grace? Just give me a chance. I realize whatever in the past is in the past, but can I have the option of going forward? We're not good at Grace. I mean, you just look at road rage, and you know we're not good at grace. Somebody cuts you off or forgets to use their turn signal. They, they, you, did you even go to elementary school, you idiots? And we like, by the way, if you say that stuff in front of your kids, you are training them to be mean people, okay? So don't do that, all right? But, so it's like, you just, we yell, you stupid idiot moron. And then what do we do? Well, we run a red light, and the cop pulls us over, and we're like, well, let's see what happened was, oh, I was running late. And we want the cop to give us grace, but we are just, you know what I'm saying? And like, When's the last time you needed some grace? We're not good at giving grace. Uh, We're not good at at, uh, giving grace, but we would love to receive it, It is the way grace works. And I love what Paul says in the verse we just read. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Thank you, Lord, that God is rich in mercy. Because if things were getting tight up at God's mercy bank account, I would be in trouble. And so would you. But God is rich in mercy, abundant, overflowing. His grace, his mercies are new every morning. In verse five, it says, his grace makes us alive. You remember what sin and, and, and transgressions did with us? You were dead in your sin and transgressions. Spiritually speaking, we were disconnected from God. He said, because of God's grace, you have been made alive. See, we have a problem. It's a sin problem. And it causes this big old rift between us and God. Because he is holy Our sin makes us unable to reach across and and access him through that chasm, but God saw that gap, and he built a bridge. In verse six, he tells us about the bridge. Verse six, he says, and God raised us up with Christ. We're gonna read the rest of that verse in a second, but let's just leave that there. Let's, Let's sit there and pause real fast. So our sin leaves a debt that needs to be paid. But God's solution for that debt was that he himself would come down, become a man, a man named Jesus, that's who Jesus is, God in the flesh, and he would give his own sinless life to pay the price for our sinful life. The, the sinless life is infinitely effective to, to, to take over this, you know, to pay the, the price of a sinful life. And so that's why one sinful life, sinless life, pure, pure, perfect life, can pay the price for all the sinful lives. And Jesus said, I'm gonna come down. I'm gonna do that. And in doing so, he created an avenue by which we could cross that chasm. We could come from this place where we are as men and women who have messed up, and we can cross over the grace of Jesus into the presence of God and have access to him. Picture it like this. A Coast Guard helicopter rescue mission, okay? A couple miles off the shore, there was some sort of boating accident, and there's someone just stranded. The helicopter comes, he hovers over, the rescue person hops in that little basket, he rides down the rope, and he goes down there, and he says, hey, trust me, hold on to me, get into the basket with me, I will raise you up. The way the Apostle Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 is this, talking about Jesus, 
For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we paused Ephesians 2, 6 right there. We're gonna hit play again. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is a gift. You can't earn grace. Someone just has to give it to you. And it's not by works. You can't earn it. No one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, and we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When I was in the second grade, I think it was, uh, it was about the time I was learning that a sound was also a body of water. Okay, that's about where I was. Um, I was in the second grade. I was constantly in trouble at school. Uh, in fact, I was in trouble in school like from the time I started school to the time I graduated. Trouble was, it followed me. Uh, but believe it or not, you, you might not believe this knowing me. I was in trouble in second grade because while my teacher was talking, I would always continue to talk. Uh, I was always in trouble for talking in class. And so there was a parent-teacher conference, and she tells my mom, like, look, Chris will not shut up. Like, we, I have tried everything. He will not stop talking in class. And my mom's like, I'm sorry. Like, so I got in trouble at home. I got in trouble at school. It just, like, it didn't work. And then my teacher had this, this stroke of genius, and she was like, got it. So she moves my desk right next to her desk in the classroom. And, and she sits there, and, and next parent-teacher conference comes by, and my, my mom's like, you know, has Chris got any better? We've been talking about it at home. He, he said he hasn't been getting in trouble at school. And my teacher says, actually, yes, it did work. Chris is no longer talking to anybody in class. That's great. The problem is he will not stop talking to me. <laughs> I can't get anything done. <laughs> um, we get this picture in our minds that when it comes to our sin in our life, we got to sweep it under the rug. we got to hide it in the closet. We've got to keep our sin secret from God. That's why we have these really stupid phrases. Oh, you don't lie in church. Like somehow God's here and he's not somewhere else. Um, he just didn't see you at home when you lied. Uh, this is one of my personal not favorites. Man, don't cuss in front of the pastor. Like I'm, not, I'm not taking notes. Like I'm not going to tattle on you. Like what's the deal? Like I don't have like a special time where I've, Sit with God, like, okay, here's how people are doing in my church. I mean, it's more likely you're going to tattle on me. Like, do you or Chris said? Like, so these are the phrases we make up because we're like, man, we got to keep our sins secret from God. Don't lie. There's part of you that thinks that. And that's why when we do stuff, we are ashamed about it. And that's why more sin happens at night than in the daytime, I think, because it's dark outside and we think less people can see it. That's just a theory I have, but I think it might be true. This is, this is the reality. God sees all of it. And he doesn't want us to keep it from him because he already saw it. But you know what he wants to do? He wants to, this is what our verse we just read. Can you put that last verse back up there just so you can look at it? He raises us up. And where does he seat us? With Christ in the heavenly realms. What are we still doing after God encounters us? We're still cutting up. We're still working through our sin stuff. But we're no longer trying to do it in the secret of the darkness of the corner we're sitting next to the teacher's desk. And if you're going to talk to anybody, talk to the teacher. Tell him about it. This is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm weak. He's like, yeah, I know. But thank you for telling me. 
Now, I'm not saying that we should never grow, we should never improve, we should never stop, we should, you know, we should keep sinning. That's not true at all, because here's what will happen. When we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus in our lives daily, when we recognize that we're sitting next to his desk, and we've been seated next to him, we start to see his holiness, his love, his goodness, and that stuff I used to do, I don't even want that anymore. It makes me sick to think about it. That's the process of being sanctified by God. That the more time we spend in his presence, the more likely we are to do the things that honor him with our life. Meanwhile, you know what saves us? God is rich in mercy. And we are saved by his grace. Instead of being stuck in at the bottom of the chasm trying to climb out by ourselves, That's what this bridge does. It gives us access to the Father's presence. Uh, as we wrap up today, I, I want to read just a couple more verses from Ephesians chapter 2. And it's an encouragement of, of what it means to know Jesus as this bridge to give us the access to the Father. We'll look at verse 12, kind of skipping ahead a few verses from where we were. Paul says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope. You were without God in this world. That, that's the description of what our soul status is like when we're outside of Jesus' grace. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Lifted up, seated with him in the heavenly realms. Brought near. Well, how? How does that work? Well, verse 14 gives us a little bit more. Well, for he, this is Jesus, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Who has made the two groups one? And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulation, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. There's a lot in there. I encourage you actually to go back, reread that, take some notes, unpack it. There's a lot of stuff in there. But I want to get to the meat of what's in there. The problem we face without the problem we face without Jesus in our life is that there is no peace between us and God. And there is no peace between us and other people. It's just not there. That's another way that Jesus can begin to bridge that gap. And Jesus came down, and it says he came down to tear down the dividing wall of hostility. I love this language. If you've been around Venture Church long, you've heard someone say this, that we want to help tear down the walls that have kept people away from church and God so that we can do what? Build a bridge to the thing that matters most, which is Jesus. Who set the pace for that wall tearing down? Jesus himself. In the systems that the Jewish people were dealing with, there was a bunch of walls up that were keeping people away. And he was like, what? That's gotta go, that's gotta go, that's gotta go, that's gotta go. What I want is for God's people to be in God's presence. That's what I want. And that's what we as a church get to do. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that next week. But that's why we're trying our best to do church a little differently, not change the, the message but change some of the method and tear down the walls that maybe have kept some of us from seeking God because it's like just too hard or it's in my way or I don't even know how to get around. I don't know the language. I don't know the best way to do this. Jesus started this tearing down the wall process and he began to build a bridge. And he began to build a bridge of peace, like a unity between us and him, a unity between us and other believers and us and people who have not yet come to accept God's grace. 
Because that's what the mission he has for us, to in turn build bridges. We're not the ultimate bridge builder. We can't span the whole chasm of, 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 of sin. Only Jesus can do that. But you know what we can do? We can create some merge ramps for people to get onto the main highway. We can help connect the dots for people. Verse 17 says this. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So what is the problem in your life that needs solving? Now remember, we just did this series uh, last month called With. The point of Christianity is not just that we can have like a, a... candy ball machine of God's blessings and when I got a problem I put in a quarter and turn it and you know you get the red gumball and I'm happy again like that's not the point of it but it's the reality of being in the presence of God bridges the gap of our issues so what are those problems Paul calls it sin and transgression that's like the root issue more commonly today we call it uh, brokenness we call it addiction we call it selfishness we call it interpersonal conflict. Like there's a lot of things that are messed up that are problems in our life. The solution is the bridge that was built by Jesus. Every single one. That's why I said at the beginning, like if you've been in church for a long time, don't tune it out because this seems so simple. But man, it is the root, it's the foundation, it is the solution, this bridge built by Jesus, a bridge of grace. It gives you another chance, just one more chance. It gives you a chance over and over and over because God, more than anything, wants us to be in his presence and to know his love. And so maybe you're, you're new to church and maybe this kind of sounds intriguing to you, but you still got a lot of questions. Guess what? There's grace for that. There's time for that. Maybe you haven't fully embraced Jesus. You haven't uh, become a Christian yet. Uh, there's some things that I believe the Bible teaches that, that you need to do, like not just come to church, but like profess that Jesus is who he says he is. There's an instruction to be baptized into his name. He gives us his Holy Spirit into his, our lives. There's a lot there. Maybe before all that, maybe though you got a lot of questions. You know what? This has got to be a safe place for those questions. So I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope that you'll keep uh, asking the questions. You'll pull me aside, grab one of our elders. They'll be standing over here in just a minute. Grab somebody that you came with and just say, I still got questions. That's great. Because the, the goal is the journey like, we got to work this journey and, and continue to seek God with our life. Maybe you've been living the Christian life for a while. Here's something I want to remind you of. I'm taking directly the words from Paul. Remember that at one time, you were separate from Christ. Let that sink in. But now, in Christ, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's stop trying to build our own bridges, our own bridges of self-righteousness, our own bridges of, uh, if I do it, it, yeah, this this is my deal, God, I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to do this, okay? And then let's let's stop building bridges on our own. Let's climb onto the bridge that Jesus built because thanks to Jesus, we have access to God. We can find unity with him and with people. We can find freedom and forgiveness purpose. And that's just the beginning of building bridges. Let me pray for us this morning.